all joining me in another episode of Paranormal XL Podcast. I'm your host, Gigi, and we are continuing with Season 4, All Things Aliens. In this episode, I will be getting into The Real Men in Black. I'm not going to lie, I didn't expect to start digging as deep as I did. Once I started the research, it definitely turned into a rabbit hole, and here we are having a whole episode on the topic instead of my original plan that was to just speak a few minutes on it on a different episode. So let's get started with some of the unexplainable events that MIB was involved in. I know when I think of MIB or Men in Black, my mind goes right to the movies to start. I mean, how cool would it be to have Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones knock on your door after seeing a spaceship? I mean, I'd probably invite them in for a cup of tea and have a nice little chat about the little green men. But the truth behind these stories is different from what we saw in the movies. So imagine yourself just minding your own business. You live out on a dirt road, have a little farm, town with, let's say, like 4,000 people. You know, everyone everyone is a friend or family. You go out to feed your cattle at 9 p.m. and notice some strange lights in the sky over, the, over your field. I mean, obviously, at first, you'd be like, what the hell? But you stand there looking at it for a few minutes, and it just zooms back up in the sky, like straight up. So you go back in, tuck your family into bed, go to sleep, wake up in the morning to pounding on your door, not this like little tiny knock like do 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 like we normally do, straight up open-handed smacks on your door like it's the police. You open it and see three tall, what appeared to be sharp-dressed men, black suits, white shirt with a tie, but something is off about their faces. Well, in some of the first recorded experiences, it was told that the men actually look like something from not this planet, and how they came across and how they came across, like, let them in your house or you're going or you're going to go with them, including your family. They seemed to use verbal intimidation, but in some of the accounts, it was said when the men in black left, these people would feel lightheaded, dizzy, sick, and with a horrible headache, as if they were also trying to intimidate via telepathically. So before we get into some of these widely known accounts, let's take a second and wrap our heads around the fact that the MIB has been talked about as as early as 1665. In the British Isles, September 4th, 1665, it is written that there were lights in the sky the night before and the townspeople were questioned about these lights by three tall men dressed in all black. You may have heard the story of uh, what they call Night of the Warlocks. That tells about this case. I just wanted to go over the fact that 358 years ago, it was actually documented that these people got questioned by the men in black. Anyway, I just think it's crazy, but what part of this whole season isn't crazy? <laughs> so let's get into some of these accounts that I've been talking about that happened with the MIB. In 1947, off the coast of Maury Island in South Pudget Sound, a man named Harold Dahl was out on his boat with his son, Christopher, their dog, and two of his workers. Harold collected logs floating in the sound and resold them to lumber mills. According to Dahl, on June 21st at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, six unidentified flying objects appeared in the sky above his boat. One of the saucers then exploded and a metal substance started raining down from the sky, killing the family dog and burning Christopher's arm. How freaking sad. So there was a, um, a government report, and I do have a copy of that, and I'm going to read that right now. Senate Resolution 8648 by Senators Kaiser, Nelson, Palumbo, Hunt, Zeiger, McCoy, Conway, Rivers, Melosa, and Fain. Whereas, on June 21, 1947, Tacoma resident 
Harold Dahl and his son allegedly sighted six flying discs over Puget Sound near Vashon Mori Island, an event now commonly known as the Mori Island Incident. And whereas on June 22, 1947, Mr. Dahl alleges he was warned not to talk about what he saw by a man dressed in a black suit. And whereas on June 24, 1947, pilot Kenneth Arnold alleges he saw nine unidentified flying objects. UFOs near Mount Rainier, and whereas these controversial sightings helped launch a pop culture phenomenon of UFO sightings across the United States during the summer of 1947, which became known as the Summer of the Saucers, and whereas on August 8, 1947, two weeks after the Washington sightings, a UFO is alleged to have crashed outside Roswell, New Mexico, and this alleged crash has since become the most well-known alleged UFO incident in history. And whereas on August 1, 1947, Army Air Corp. Intelligent Officers Captain William L. Davidson and First Lieutenant Frank M. Brown, who interviewed Harold Dahl, about his sighting, lost their lives when the B-25 bomber they were piloting crashed outside of Kelso, Washington. And whereas, following the tragic deaths of Davison and Brown, Harold Dahl publicly claimed his sightings at Maury Island was a hoax. Whereas, special agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation conducted an investigation of the deaths of Davidson and Brown and ultimately concluded that Dahl did not recant his story but that his claim of hoax was itself a fabrication to avoid further public attention and ridicule. And whereas the FBI's conclusion and Dahl's secret were sealed for 50 years. And whereas the Maury Island incident and its surrounding circumstances have made immeasurable contributions to Washington State's cultural heritage and to popular culture worldwide, including most recently the 2014 award-winning motion picture The Maury Island Incident and the 2015 web series The Maury Incident Island Incident, produced in the conjunction with the Washington Filmworks Innovation Lab and Motion Picture Competitiveness Program. And whereas on April 1, 2017, the third annual Burn UFO Festival will be held in the newest hipster hangout of the downtown Old Buren, with wide community participation and good humor, and whereas on the seventh anniversary of the seminal UFO sighting events, the Washington State sightings should be recognized for both their prominence and the, and the primacy in the modern era of UFO popular culture. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Washington State Senate paused to acknowledge the 17th anniversary of the June 21, 1947 Mary Island incident. The 1947 Summer of the Saucers popular culture phenomenon launched worldwide by these controversial events. The first reference to the characters now popular known as Men in Black and be it further resolved that the Washington State Senate recognized the honor, the heroism, and service of the Army Air Corps intelligent officers Captain William L. Davidson and First Lieutenant Frank M. Brown, who lost their lives following their investigation of the Maury Island incident when their airplane crashed outside of Kelso, Washington on August 1, 1947. And be it further resolved that the copies of this resolution be immediately transmitted by the Secretary of the Senate to the Air Force Historical Research Agency, to the Vashon Maury Island Heritage Association, to the Des Moines Historical Society, to the Highland Historic Historical Society, to the Buren Historical Society, to the Longview Castle Historical Society, and to the Washington State Historical Museum. I, Hunter G. Goodman, Secretary of the Senate, do hereby certify that this is a true and correct copy of the Senate Resolution 8648, adopted by the Senate April 18, 2017. Hunter G. Goodman, Secretary of the Senate. 
So he even says in there that he thinks that Dal took that back to, you know, downplay it so he wasn't like in the people's eye and such like that. So that's something to think about as we go further into these. Okay, so let's move on to Albert Baker. He lived with his parents in the attic and turned that into his home base. So with that, what I mean is like his UFO home base. So we will just jump into part of his story, his UFO side of his story. Albert's unique appreciation for the supernatural coincided with all the UFO talk of well-publicized flying saucer sightings in the American West during the late 1940s, pushing Bender to form one of America's known UFO organizations. In 1952, the Park City resident organized the International Flying Saucer Bureau. World War I Air Force member, a CEO of Eastern Airlines, Eddie Rickenbaker, became an honorary member. Albert Einstein politely declined his invitation. That's kind of funny. The Bureau's 600 worldwide members with Bender as president were dedicated to furthering the study of these mysterious crafts. Its its headquarters were located in Albert Bridgeport's home in the attic. One of the group's most enthusiastic members, Max Krangel, also worked as a timekeeper at Acme Shear. He served as IFSB vice president and assistant director. Krangel lived in Stratford. His home was in one of the Lordship's New Cape Cod-style houses along Stratford Road between Heartland Street and Airway Drive. Shortly after his founding, the IFSB research shortly after his founding, the IFSB reached shortly after its founding, the IFSB reached out to members around the world through a quarterly journal, Space Review. The newsletter shared stories of UFO sightings and offered theories about the origins of these seemingly inexplicable object. No sooner had Bender commenced the IFSB than odd occurrences plagued him in Bridgeport. Ill health, strange phone calls, and telepathic messages hounded this researcher. These events coincidentally mirrored an outbreak of UFO sightings over southern Connecticut. In addition, Albert felt as if he was being watched. November 1952, at a local movie theater, Bender realized a strange man with glowing eyes observing him. And while walking home along Main Street, Albert was shadowed. On a separate occasion, late one night on Broad Street, Bender reported he he was telepathically hypnotized and levitated. But the worst phenomenon was the sickening odor filling his attic. The stench was burning sulfur. Albert blended his UFO research with mental telepathy to further his experiments. Bender propped readers of Space Review with an ab- audience request. Broadmoor Street Home, Albert blended his UFO research with mental telepathy. To further his experiments, Bender prompt readers of Space Review with an audacious request. Memorize and silently recite on a particular day and time a form letter penned by Bender. Albert's goal was to connect with alien life via the simultaneous thought projection of hundreds of IFSB members. World Contact Day, or as Bender in the IF. SB officially preferred C-Day, commenced at 6 o'clock in the evening on March 15, 1953. The noble telepathic message opened with calling occupants of interplanetary craft, calling occupants of interplanetary craft that have been observing our planet Earth. We of IFSB wish to make contact with you. We are your friends. Just over 20 years later, the Canadian progressive rock band Klaatu incorporated Bender's words into a haunting anthem. Musical siblings and New Haven natives, the Carpenters, provided their own version of the Klaatu song. World Contact Day is still observed by UFO enthusiasts every March 15th. Bender's message did not go over well. His rooms continued to fill with 
with the smell of sulfur, and he was telepathically ordered to cease delving into matters that were not his concern. A yellow mist gathered in the attic. Bender announced that the July issue of Space Review would hold a startling re- revelation. It never appeared to print. In July 1953, Albert Bender was visited at his home by three men. Bender stated all of them dressed in black clothes. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to the homebug style. The notorious men in black, always in threes, made it clear to Bender that he was immediately to halt all of his UFO work. They communicated telepathically, stopped publishing before departing. The, the MIB confiscated copies of Space Review, and in their wake, a yellow fog materialized in the upstairs room 784 Broad Street. Again, the vile odor of sulfur wafted through the attic. Unnerved by their otherworldly presence, Albert shuddered that he was scared to death and was unable to eat for days. The 32-year-old timekeeper would be the recipient of repeated MIB visits. Not surprisingly, Bender's paranormal experiences were reported in local newspapers. What might seem borrowed from the plot of a late-night horror movie, Bender's stories can easily be traced at one of his familiar haunts, the downtown Bridgeport Public Library. Bender's account of the threats from the men in black became evident when viewing old microfilm pages of the Bridgeport Sunday Herald. One of the Herald article reported the story under the headline, Mystery Visitors Halt Research. Bender is quoted that three men in dark suits flashed credentials showing them to be representatives of a higher authority, and they asked numerous questions about the IFSB. The Herald reporter, Lem McClellan, interpreted these visitors as government officials. It was only years later when the passage of time apparently lessened his anxiety that Bender explained that the MIB were not of Earth. The telepathic messages headaches, him being stalked, and of course the surreal warnings of authoritans in black suits compelled Albert to shut down the International Flying Saucer Barrel. A year and a half after founding the IFSB, the final issue of Space Review was released in October 1953. It included a cryptic message and warning. The mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of the information we have been advised in the negative, we advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. In 1956, fellow IFS B member Gray Barker penned the book. They knew too much about flying saucers. In these pages, Barker details Albert Albert's Bridgeport experiences and introduced the world to the and introduced the world to the phrase "Men in Black." A decade after his own brush with aliens, Bender chronicled his strange personal story in a bizarre expo expose entitled Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Albert stressed how the dark-suited visitors were mind-manipulating silencers. Abandoning his forays into the supernatural and UFO research, Albert Bender departed Bridgeport and relocated to California three years after publishing his autobiography. Albert Bender passed away at the age of 94 on March 29, 2016. So that, I mean, he just passed away recently now there was like when you go back and you read files and such that are on this guy they tried to go back and make sure like he was sane and he didn't have any other underlying medical issues clearly he didn't like he made it to 94 and you know when he was fairly healthy for a 94 year old it's just age got him type of things Sadly, the house on 784 Broad Street no longer stands. This home, where alien theorists believe beings from outer space made their presence known, needed to make room for a different sort of invasion. Uh, the urban renewal, where every, 
you know, the new housing developments and such like we have now. So it actually, like, his home vanishes from the city directories in 1957, so it was like it never existed. Pretty crazy. So we have obviously talked about Mufan before in this season. Um, We'll probably talk about it a few more times just because that's, like, the thing now. Um, My... So, like, this was kind of, like, the the first MUFON, I guess, is how I, I guess, put it in my head. Um, so, it went IFSB and then MUFON. But MUFON's, like, everywhere, as we know. So, if you watch the other episodes where we have the head president of the Michigan MUFON is on there. Um, and then, of course, Mama Mary when she discusses the work that she does with MUFON. So, my question is, is if we have any MUFON listeners in this season, my question to you guys is, do you have any MIB stories? Like, are they still around? Do they still, like, see people and whatnot? That is something I have been wanting to know since delving into all this is like is this that might be still around so with that we will take a quick break and we will return and finish out the episode hi everyone this is jj the co-founder of good pods if you haven't heard of it yet good pods is like goodreads or instagram but for podcasts it's new it's social it's different and it's growing really fast There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening. And we are back. So let's just jump right back in. A grandson of a World War II vet came forward about his grandfather's story. So we're going to start it off with some of the records. August 5th, 1944, according to records released on August 5th, 2010, British wartime PM Winston Churchill banned the reporting for 50 years of an alleged UFO incident because of fears it could create mass panic. Reports given to Churchill claimed the incident involved a Royal Air Force reconnaissance plane returning from a mission in France or Germany toward the end of the Second World War. Allegedly, when flying over or near the English coastline, the aircraft was suddenly intercepted by a strange metallic object that matched its course and speed for a time before accelerating away and disappearing. The plane's crew were reported to have photographed the object, which they said had hovered noiselessly near the aircraft before moving off. According to the documents, details of the cover-up emerged when a man wrote to the government in 1999 seeking to find out more about the incident. He described how his grandfather, who served with the RAF in the Second World War, was present when Churchill and U.S. General Dwight Eisenhower discussed how to deal with the UFO encounter. The files came from more than 5,000 pages of UFO reports, letters, and drawings from the members of the public, as well as questions raised by members of the UK Parliament. So he also was recorded to say that um, some truths are so precious they must be protected by a bodyguard of lies. And then also the fear of mass panic because of the loss of faith in the church if this was to get out, like, these reports of the Air Force and such seeing these things. So, I mean, clearly a cover-up of some sort. Uh, it's There's just so much, so, so much. Now, in this next little bit that I have, so my notes are, like, all over the place because once I started, I ended up with, like, 13 pages of notes, but, like, 
I'm a messy note taker, so it's like blurbs here and there, and I was trying to put everything together and do more research as I was typing all my notes together, but I couldn't find much more than what I wrote down. So there was a man in the UK that actually has had a picture, um, and then he was visited by the men in black, and so when he was taking this picture, he said he was walking in the woods, spotted this alien, and he the alien made like a a gesture for him to like go away but it obviously he followed because why wouldn't you follow that'd be intriguing right so he goes over the hill or whatever follows this alien then he sees the spacecraft so he got like the picture and stuff like that and then he well he also had a compass so like he looked down at his compass he always carried a compass back then it was one of those things you know in case you get lost type of thing blah 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 but when he looked down at his compass his compass was like just going nuts in a circle it just kept spinning and spinning he gets a visit from the men in black you know, all these interviews and such like that. But the men in black demanded the photo. So he gave him the actual photo and then they asked for the negative. And he said, well, I, I don't have that, which he actually gave it to somebody that he knew, um, a friend of his to keep. So whoever that is, I'm not really for sure, but I just thought that was kind of a cool story where he was like, no, I don't have it. And they were like, well, we want it. And he was like, no. And yeah, all that fun stuff. Okay, let's jump into the Robinson panel and the Condon report. An American obsession with the UFO phenomenon was underway in the hot summer of 1952. A provocative series of radar and visual sightings occurred near national Airport in Washington, D.C. Although these events were attributed to the temperature inversions in the air over the city, not everyone was convinced by this explanation. Meanwhile, the number of the UFO reports had climbed to a record high. This led the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, to prompt the U.S. government to establish an expert panel of scientists to investigate the phenomena. The panel was headed by H.P. Robertson, a physicist at the California Institute of Technology in Pasadena, California. It also included other physicist, an astronomer, and a rocket engineer. The Robertson panel met for three days in 1953 and interviewed military officers and the head of the Project Blue Book. They also reviewed films and photographs of UFOs. Their conclusions were that 90% of the sightings could easily be random stuff in the sky and or the weather, or to such earthly objects as aircraft, balloons, birds, and searchlights. There was no obvious security threat and there was no evidence to support the ETH. Parts of the panel's report were kept classified until 1979, and this long period of secrecy helped fuel suspicions of a government cover-up. A second committee was set up in 1966 at the request of the Air Force to review the most interesting material gathered by Project Blue Book. Two years later, this committee, which made a detailed study of 59 UFO sightings, released its results as Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying Objects, also known as the Condone Project, named for Edward U. Condone, the physicist who headed the investigation. The Condone Report was reviewed by a special committee of the National Academy of Sciences. A total of 37 scientists wrote chapters or parts of the chapters for the report, which covered investigations of the 59 UFO sightings in detail. Like the Robertson panel, the committee concluded that there was no evidence of anything other than commonplace phenomena in the reports and that UFOs did not warrant further investigation. This together was a decline in sightings activity, led to the dismantling of Project Blue Book in 1969. For whatever reason, when I started getting into the paranormal stuff, I was like, I need to look into Project Blue Book and da-da-da. I watched um, some of the documentaries and stuff on that and taught and seeing and watching and hearing some of these interviews that were conducted to these people that witnessed it. You know, they, they were in the Air Force. They were up in the plane, like, you know, riding side by side with these UFOs. Like, it, it's, if you haven't delved into it, do it at least a little bit 
and watch some of the interviews and such because it's it'll probably change your mind honestly so of course the government states they don't know anything of course and obviously some of the called in cases from all of these years have been debunked most of them have just your average drill trying to get their 15 minutes of fame type of thing which we know is a thing <laughs> in the world that we live in especially today no if you go digging more to find out about any of these topics you're gonna get lost for sure so make sure that you know you got everything else going because you'll be in for weeks and weeks in the internet and then in books and newspapers and all it's just craziness and never-ending pit so now i question everything really like over the years has the government been gearing us up for this type of thing with the ufo and aliens so once it does happen we aren't so freaked out kind of slipping the facts in and such you know on stories that we're sidetracked with like right now everything with social media and stuff and then every so often you'll find something in there and probably 75 percent if not more of us just kind of scroll by because it's not something shiny uh, but they're literally telling us are the men in black not from earth is it the government is it both you know is it the aliens like does the government did they hire the aliens to do this like ah my brain just goes up a million miles a minute i can't even get words out half the time as you guys know to get all those questions answered at one time would be so overwhelming for the human brain i think i know it would be too much for me to wrap my head around do i think we're alone absolutely not but I'm just not sure if I want to know what's out there or what or uh, how long it's been there or where it is, who or what. But we are just a small speck to something larger than our hearts and our minds could ever fathom. Which I know most of us know that, but at the same time we get so caught up in our daily stuff that we forget. There's a much bigger picture out there. There's space. There's infinity. We don't know what else is out there. It's just it's just crazy, like I keep saying. So with that, please email in all your thoughts or stories or anything you want to tell us about, you know, aliens, your contact with aliens or seeing a ufo anything on the alien subject it's just a never-ending topic so of course the email is paranormalxl at writeme.com thank you so much for listening you are amazing as always and stay kind stay humble and remember don't yuck someone else's yum <laughs>